0: We're not far into the Clarence River when Troy slows down and starts to drop a 500-metre net off the back of his boat. Troy Billen is a wild catch fisherman here in Yamba. He catches all sorts of
1: species. Uh, Catch mud crabs, uh, blackfish, mullet, snapper, jewfish, sand whiting and lots of other things.
0: In the river and out to sea all year round. Like many commercial fishers, he's got a lot on the go all
1: at once. Crabbing, yeah, seven days a week, unless sometimes I might have a day off here and there. But on that day off, I tend to do maintenance and catch up on a lot of other things. So it's not really a day off. No, it's not.
0: <laughs> but today, he's fishing for blackfish in a huge net that he lays in a circle in the water. We're within sight of the boat ramp, near the fishing co-op as you drive into Yamba.
1: If you look over there to the other side of the river at Iluka, that's another couple hundred metres that way. And that's where the, the wall, wall will start. that runs out into
0: oh, the Oh, right.
1: Yes. Yeah, if I went just around the corner, it just look straight out the mouth of the river.
0: I'm Jess O'Cullaghan and this is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. This season, you'll hear from some of New South Wales' most inspiring young commercial fishers, oyster farmers and aquaculturists about how they work and the way they run their businesses. In this episode, we're going to hear how Troy Billen found customers for mud crab, blackfish, and a whole range of other produce, both locally and as far away from Yamba as Sydney and Melbourne. How he built strong relationships and a solid reputation with wholesalers and fish shops, so that he has more control over what he sells and how much it sells for. When he pulls these fish in, Troy will sell them directly to a local fish shop. Other days, he pops them on a truck and sends them to the auction floor at the Sydney fish market. He's a shareholder in the local co-op, but he rarely sells his fish there. I'm going to talk to him about that later, but first, he needs to get those fish into the net. Literally just doing donuts to scare the...
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the fish hear it. Like
0: just A couple of blackfish shimmer in the net below. It's time to pull them in. How long have you been doing this for?
1: Uh, over 20 years. Yeah, since I was 19. And Professionally, since you were 19? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I was a little kid at school, yeah, I always wanted to be a fisherman. Uh, I used to love fishing with a rod and reel. Uh, I used to write stories about fishing when I was at school and teachers would tell me, oh, you're never going to get anywhere out of fishing. So, yeah, look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> um my father did a bit of fishing and he had a, a few fishing businesses when I was a bit younger. And I used to do a little bit of work for him when I first started.
0: What sort of fishing did
1: he do? Uh, he did lobsters, um, lobsters and king prawns in the ocean. He had river licences and line licences as well. The idea was that they were going to be mine one day, so I did a lot of work for nothing to sort of get them and then, yeah, things sort of went a bit... Pear shape, I suppose you can say, and um, one day he made me go and sell them. And I sort of said, Oh, what about me? I thought they were going to be mine one day. And um, he said, Yeah, no, go and sell them. Just wanted the money, that's all he wanted. And I thought, How old were you then? Uh, I was 19. And I thought it was pretty harsh. And I had a 45 minute drive from actually from here in Yamba to Iluca to where the broker was when I had to go and sell them and put them on the Lake market. over for there him.
0: around yeah. the other side of the water. Yep.
1: yep. So, in that time, you know, a tear in my eye and I was pretty upset about the whole thing. My whole life dream was coming to an end. And I thought, oh no, it's time to go out by myself, bugger him. And um, I rung up my mum and she went, garantor off me on a loan and helped me out and everything. And I had. I had five or six thousand dollars saved up. No, I had seven, I think it was, and I bought a boat for five. It's a tiny little, old clapped-out boat, and then two thousand dollars worth of fishing gear—just some rods and reels and line and a bait freezer, and a roll of crab wire. And yeah, that's how I started. I just built everything up from then. I went to the broker to sell a license. I said, "Yeah, this is for sale," but it's sold. I'm buying it. He said, couldn't, couldn't work it out. And I said, yeah. And he, he even said, oh, isn't, I thought it was going to be yours one day. And I said, yeah, well, so did I. But it's, you know, obviously not happening. So here it's for sale and I want to buy it, make him an offer and make it the offer anonymously so he doesn't know who's getting it because I, I offered to to Dad to get a loan and whatever and I'd buy it. And he said, no, 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 you, you know, I want the money now. And so, yeah, I um, made an anonymous offer and he took the anonymous offer and there yeah, I bought the business <laughs> and away I went from there.
0: When did he find out
1: that it was you? He was ringing me up, harassing me for the money then because well, I had to pay a deposit first and you've got to wait for the, the transfer to go through and before you pay the final payment. And yeah, he knew it was me by that stage because he'd seen the name on the um, on the forms he had to sign and whatever. Or he didn't even see it. The broker had to tell him. Uh, no, not the surname, the initial yeah, then he was ringing up saying he wants his money quicker and I said, no, no, you'll, you know, you'll have to wait and go through the same procedure anyone else does. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, bit of a funny story, but yeah. funny part of life. But yeah, that's how keen I was to get into fishing and that's how I started. I suppose that's probably why I'm so passionate about it because I built everything up from nothing and had to make a big decision and that when I was younger to do what I was going to do. And, yeah, so that's that.
0: Troy's business has grown slowly but surely over the years from that initial loan of 7,000 bucks to bid anonymously on his dad's business. These days he has four boats, a kilogram quota for mud crab and blue swimmer crab, and another quota for meshing and hauling. He made the decision to invest in a quota early on, when the idea of reform was first introduced as being something that would eventually happen. I
1: love what I do, so um, I thought, well, now I'll invest in it i thought it was going to be worth a bit in the future Mm. so yeah that's that's what sort of drove me to do it and yeah i put put a hell of a lot into it there early on in the piece and um a lot of blokes thought it wasn't going to happen Mm. or you know they said they can't do that so there's a lot of division in the industry people um, weren't too impressed with people that were buying shares to, or investing in the industry and some of the others just thought they could fight it. So I decided to go with it and instead of arguing against it or um, any of that I chose to you know, look at the information we had on hand and make my decisions on that and move forward. I've, Lucky I did, move forward at the
0: right time. Most of the time, Troy avoids selling to the local co-op.
1: I choose to try and steer clear of it as much as I can. Sometimes I take a bit of product there.
0: He wants to see more transparency from them, to know how much they're selling his fish for and what cut they're taking. These days, he mostly markets his own fish direct to wholesalers and fish shops, both locally and interstate. This gives him more control over the expenses associated with this market. He can decide who to sell to for the best price. And what's the benefit to that over going to the port? What's the benefit of going direct?
1: Dollars. Jeez, I can be getting $50 back to me and some of the other fishermen can be getting $30, 25 This difference is
0: especially stark when he's selling crabs.
1: Always at least $10 a kilo minimum with crabs. Uh, fish... Fish, it's a little bit less, of course, because they're not as high values.
0: If he's selling the fish locally, it's just a matter of making a phone call and seeing who wants them. If they're going to the fish market, the logistics get a bit more complex. So, do they handle the transport and all of that, or do you have to do that? Uh,
1: No, that's the hard part. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Transporting fresh fish or live crabs isn't something just any truck can do. And the transport has to be right for the quality of the product to be maintained once it leaves the cool room in Troy's garage. Here in Yamba, Troy is a seven-hour drive away from the fish market and a half-hour detour off the Pacific Highway. Finding the right transport at the right price is a big part of Troy's job.
1: Hopefully in the future, the uh, Sydney fish market might, might have some better opportunities sorted out for transport. At the moment, that can be hard, the logistics. Probably the hardest part.
0: Especially all the way up here, yeah. the further you get away, the harder it must be to get stuff there
1: yeah you've got to have enough to to make it worthwhile for the trucks to pick up Mm. enough to um make it worth your time to put it on the truck
0: do you have specific drivers or companies that you're working
1: with uh one one yeah that's what'd be great if there was a few more But to carry carry um live product wet fish it's yeah it's a bit hard to get get um transport companies to carry it
0: There are a couple of other fishermen locally that Troy will team up with sometimes for transport. If they all have produce to get down to the fish market that day, they might share the cost of getting it there. But for all the logistics, Troy says it's worth it, not only financially. Over time, he's been able to build his own reputation. He's done this by consistently providing a top quality product and delivering what he says he will deliver. It's all in the details, the way he catches and stores his fish and crabs, setting them apart as high quality. When fewer people are buying fish or crabs, wholesalers or fish shops know they can come to Troy for a top-quality product. That consistency is a good selling point compared to a co-op model, where who caught your fish, how they handled it and stored it, is sometimes really different, even within one day's catch.
1: A lot of it, I find, is... um Good relationships with the buyers that you do have. It um, seems to be a big thing, a lot of trust. Um, Give them good quality product all the time. They know what they're getting, so they come back for more all the time and it forms a good bond and a good relationship with them.
0: Troy's filled his box up with ice and salt water scooped from the river.
1: So by putting salt water in there, um, that'll make the, the fish all just sink down in it. And it makes it colder than this
0: ice. There are a few other things he needs to avoid the cop almost entirely.
1: Just a, a small sort of cool room. I've got an ice machine, so I've got all the ice there on hand. Lots of insulated ice boxes. Sydney fish market tubs to pack them in and send them in if they're going to Sydney. Or the polyfoam styroam, styrofoam boxes. Yeah, that's sort of about it. i scales, and I've got a big tray to sort the fish on as well
0: has completed the Ocean Watch Master Fisherman Program, a day of training that helps fishers with sustainability, fishing methods and marketing. The program gave him a template that he used to create a label for his fish. These labels explain that the fish was sustainably and responsibly harvested, where it came from and on what date. The label also has a QR code that the buyer can scan to learn more about Troy and how he works.
1: They'll get it out, grade it if I've got different sorts of fish, weigh it, label it, pack it, then hold it for a few hours and wait for the truck to turn up and then load it on the truck. If I send it on the truck today, it will be in Sydney Fish Market early tomorrow morning, probably three o'clock in the morning, ready for tomorrow's auction.
0: That's one way to sell fish at the Sydney Fish Market, by sending them directly to the auction floor. When you sell to the co-op, a lot of the fish wind up being sold this way too, with the co-op a supplier to the market. But Troy himself is registered as a supplier at the market, which means he can send seafood directly to the auction floor, where it's bid on each morning by registered buyers. By bypassing the co-op and sending the fish directly to the auction floor, Troy is often able to pull a higher price. A percentage of the sale is taken by the fish market, between 6 and 11%, depending on what species you're selling, and he has to pay for his transport. But after all this, the bottom line still more often than not works out better than selling to the fish market via the co-op. Troy also knows buyers at the market he can sell to directly. This can pull a higher price than the auction and lock in a price before he spends the money on transport.
1: If I put it on the auction, it'll be sold tomorrow morning, but I can sometimes do direct sales where I'll contact a buyer from down there and tell him what I've got, organise a price and um, just put it on the truck and label it for direct sale for, for that particular buyer. Then Sydney Fish Market handles all that transaction for me from then.
0: But the blackfish I watched Troy catch this morning aren't headed for the big smoke. A catch this small isn't worth the cost of logistics and Troy's confident he can sell them locally. When we get back to shore, Troy jumps on the phone with a fish shop in Grafton and they arrange to pick the lot up, about 60 kilos of blackfish.
1: So they're in an ice slurry in the boat in an insulated box, so they'll just stay there for a few hours. It's better for them to stay there for a couple of hours and um, come right down in temperature, so they'll stay there till the buyer comes and picks them up. And When the buyer picks them up, we'll just weigh them off, put them in the back of his refrigerated truck with a bit of ice on them, he'll take them straight back to his shop and um, either fill them or put them in the window and they could be for sale in a shop this afternoon or tomorrow morning.
0: Troy has a lot of relationships like this, with fish shops and distributors locally and interstate. How do you initiate those relationships? Like, how do you find them and um, get started?
1: That's sort of a hard one. I don't, I don't know really how I found them. I know one or two of them I've found it at meetings and um, industry things, industry sort of meetings. They met people like that.
0: Half the time, these new buyers reach out to Troy. They've tried his product or heard about his reputation and gotten in touch directly. These relationships take time to build.
1: You sort of get to know them a bit and then you might do a little bit of business with them, and then business goes good or, you know, everything goes good and you, you form a, a trust and a bond and it just it grows and grows from there. And when you get a really good buyer, it's, it's really hard to move away from you sort of form a good relationship with them.
0: Troy puts a few fish aside. It's his mum's birthday this week, so he's filleting a few to take to her place the next day. And the pelicans are stoked.
1: I'll show you how much it is. Oh
0: my <laughs> Oh my god! Troy doesn't formally work with anyone else at the moment. When crab season is in full swing, sometimes he'll bring on a mate to help for a few days. He does have a friend who he works with informally, and he sounds like a pretty useful friend to have. He made Troy's crabbing boat from scratch.
1: He's a fisherman as well. You know, we do a lot of work together. And
0: they have a of- They'll team up to send fish to Sydney sometimes, sharing the costs and the logistical hassle... He knows how to weld aluminium, something Troy never learnt to do, so he can repair boats and in exchange, Troy will help him build nets.
1: Yeah, pretty close sort of with what we're both doing and, and yeah, I do a lot, of, a lot of marketing for him and he sort of helps with some of the, the other bits and pieces.
0: Is that a formal relationship or you guys just kind of trade?
1: No, nothing on paper. <laughs> yeah. It's just um, mates helping mates basically.
0: Troy does have an accountant that he works with. He does most of the bookkeeping himself with two money column books, one for income and the other for expenditure. He'll itemise costs like boat maintenance and equipment in the expenditure book and log sales figures in the income book. At the end of the month, he'll tally it all up and know what he's made. He lodges business activity statements himself, but at the end of the financial year, he hands these books over to the accountant
1: i drop it on the account and just say, here, finish that off for me. Um, that way I know where I'm up to with my business all the time. Um, Has that always been the
0: way? You've yeah, been the way the whole time.
1: yeah. I was lucky enough that mum was used to be a bookkeeper, so she showed me sort of how to keep books, and I went to the account when I was younger, and they said, yeah, yeah, that's what you need to do, and that's made it a lot cheaper for me instead of having massive accountant bills at the end of the year. Yeah. And, It sort of taught me to stay on top of my business too, I suppose, because you know where you're at all the time.
0: But for the most part, he operates on his own.
1: Uh, I enjoy operating solo, yeah, but I can see in the future, yeah, if I find the right person, yeah, I might be able to step back a little bit. Um, I'd like to think one day maybe my son could sort of step up a bit and I could just point the finger and give directions and whatnot but yeah we'll see what happens there i don't want to push him into it let him find his own way but if he ever wants to have a go at it i'll definitely support him the whole way yeah
0: if you could go back to when you were first starting and give yourself give yourself some advice what would it be Mm.
1: hurry up and get a new boat (laughs) (laughs) And don't, don't be shy about um, buying new gear and expanding a bit. Don't hold back when it comes time to expand.
0: Do you think, like, every time you've expanded, you've found it's kind of paid itself back in,
1: yeah. in
0: yeah. what you're catching?
1: Yeah, I haven't fallen backwards by trying to expand yet, so that's been a good thing. Not saying that it's not going to happen, but, yeah, it's been good so far.
0: There's so much to learn from how Troy Billen operates – Remember, Troy started with a $5,000 boat, $2,000 worth of fishing gear and a loan from his mum to buy his father's business. You don't have to have a lot of money to start out and develop a successful business. Just because a system of doing business is in place doesn't mean you can't question and change that system. Maybe there are new investments you could make or other ways of selling your produce that will make you more money and give you more control of your business decisions. If you do go this way and find more direct sales for your product, remember, reputation is key and good relationships pay off. What are your hopes for the future?
1: I suppose I'd like to maybe look at doing some export in the future. Some opportunities there. And more marketing too, sort of similar to what I'm doing and grow the marketing side of it. And just yeah, to be able to keep fishing and doing what I love and be successful with what I do, yeah, it's, what I hope the future holds I just love what I do Uh, yeah I love catching fish it's sort of pretty rewarding when you when you get a good haul of fish and you get a good pay out of it and just handling really good quality products it's good Um, feedback from some of the buyers that goes a long way I love eating my product too that's pretty good Um, pretty hard to beat a good feed of fish
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks so much to Troy for taking me fishing for Blackfish. More episodes of The Business of Fishing are on your favourite podcast app. Next episode, we're in Port Stephens. Oyster farming with brothers Cameron and Lucas Ashley. We'd like to expand and cancel more every year to a point where we, we would say, all right, that's a, that's a comfortable amount for us to handle. We can handle that. We won't want any more. And, yeah, we're still trying to find that amount. Catch you then.